1: Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter. I'm Snowden Bishop. Today I wanted to talk a bit about the business of marijuana and some of the challenges faced by even the most savvy of entrepreneurs. While the industry is still relatively young, it's growing up fast. Pioneers have paved the way for new entrepreneurs who are eager to take advantage of the economic upside. It's the Wild West in states where new regulation has fast-tracked opportunity. From a newcomer's perspective, venturing into uncharted territory might seem like an adventure, but ask anyone who's been there, and you'll likely hear that setting up a new marijuana business is no picnic. Navigating the ever-evolving cannabis legal landscape is no joyride either. This is especially true in states like Arizona, where inroads often lead to unforeseen roadblocks, despite the well-mapped legislation. Laura Bianchi, my guest today, has been down this road many times. As an attorney that Dope Magazine calls a rising star in cannabis law, she has successfully guided hundreds of clients through the legal maze in Arizona. Among her many impressive credentials, she is one of a handful of lawyers admitted into the National Cannabis Bar Association. She's also an active member of the National Cannabis Industry Association and co-chairs the Phoenix chapter of Women Grow, an organization that connects, educates, and empowers female forward leadership in all segments of the cannabis industry. I'm happy to introduce Laura Bianchi. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank really you so much. I'm glad appreciate you could me. be here. Um, I wanted to kind of start off with a story that will set the compass for what I wanted to talk about today. Um, A friend of mine called me in an absolute panic a couple of weeks ago, and um, as our listeners may not know, Arizona opened up 31, I guess, new licenses that were going to be, you know... uh, Issued for a medical program, yes, the remaining licenses. The remaining licenses. Mm -hmm. And there are undoubtedly hundreds of people applying for these things, and they had a very, very strict deadline. Correct. But not only that, they had all sorts of restrictions about where and where not to put a dispensary. So everyone applying, which you deal with on a daily basis, had to go through this entire uh, rigmarole of applying, finding the right properties. Correct. Correct getting their licenses. Correct. The real estate and zoning side of
0: this really governs the program more so than any other aspect, and it's it's the most difficult hurdle to overcome because every municipality has different rules and regulations and restrictions for dispensaries, for cultivation facilities. So the hardest part of this process is finding and actually securing real properties
1: so that you can apply. Right. So a friend of mine called me in a panic. He lost his property. Oh, God. It was like one of the very few he tried sure. find. So he said, do you know anybody who can help us find something, you know, fast? Right. Famous last <laughs> so, words. <laughs> exactly. So so we actually um, knew a couple of people who had properties for sale that had been courted by other people applying for licenses. So we thought, okay, this should be a no-brainer. We'll put them in touch, blah, blah, blah. Got everything all settled, checked the county website, checked the state marijuana lebs- website, to make sure that all of the zoning restrictions were met, there sure. then went to the city websites to find out, you know, make sure that the zoning was proper for sure. what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually went as far as to, you know, offer someone, you know, tentatively make an offer. Sure. Go down to the city of Chandler. Chandler says, "Oh, by the way, we're not issuing any." Yeah. And then we did the same thing in Mesa. Sure. Again, nothing. In Mesa, at that time, qualified. Right. What do you tell your clients? It's extremely difficult. There are very
0: few real estate experts who actually can help them find and secure property. It really is still at the point where you almost have to hit the road. And and you know, we can give you the the preliminary information. We can give you the structure, depending on. I always tell people to narrow it down to which municipalities you're looking into, so that we can tell you what zoning you're looking for, give you a little bit better sort of path to success, Um, but in the end, it's going and finding, and it's, it's really, you've got to have people in place, like we have excellent land planners who I always tell them, you send me an address, and we can go through the process much quicker than most individuals can on their own of finding what are the issues, because it may be zoned correctly, but it may fall short of the distance requirements to a neighborhood, or you know, a school well, or something churches, that doesn't look like a park but is a park. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of pitfalls and things that just the everyday person has no way of knowing. So, in order to not waste a huge amount of time and money, um, you know, you always have to find the right professionals. Who it's going to take a little bit of upfront cost, but it will save you because at least you can get through the process and and move through a number of properties. You know, rather than putting all your time, like your friend did, into one and you get so far down that process and I guarantee you spent money and time and then yeah. have the city say no, no thanks.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, the other the other issue, too, is that I believe the state passed legislation that said that the muni- municipalities can deny any dispensaries or anything like that in their jurisdictions. Well, so,
0: I mean, the municipalities all have to have some sort of zoning. They have to have rules and requirements that allow for it. They can't all, you know, completely ban it. However, they can make it exceptionally difficult. And most right. of them, you know, have very few sites that will actually comply and, you know, places like Tempe, places like Gilbert, some of these cities have said, look, we've got medical marijuana uses, we've complied with legislation, we're not allowing any more in. So they refused to actually even consider the zoning requir- the zoning approval, which is required as, as part of the application, and wouldn't let anyone else come into their municipality. So it's a struggle, but what's the answer? You'd have to file a lawsuit against the municipality, and right. most of the people don't want to go in and You know, be sort of the guinea pig who files the lawsuit and spends the money, and you may win in the end, but it takes a lot of time and cost. And when I'm dealing with a regulated system where there's a certain amount of licenses available, most of the time that's not where I want to spend my time and money. Right. But it's frustrating.
1: But it seems like a complete disservice to the voters who obviously wanted access to medical marijuana and, you know... For example, Mesa is an enormous city when sure. driving end-to-end. End. Yeah. So you've got people who live on one end who have really nothing available in their area. Sure. Chandler, same thing. Yeah. it's
0: I mean, it, it's a difficulty, I think, with any new industry is that there's inconsistencies, and, and it's not fair, and it's difficult to deal with. You know, some municipalities also have you know, additional requirements such as use permits and things like that that they say you have to require ahead of time. Some say you don't have to get it until actually you've been allocated a license. So you've got some individuals who were forced to spend a lot of money to Mm -hmm. just get to the application part and some people who weren't. It's not fair. Um, Unfortunately, it's just one of those things that I tell people, look, being part of making history is difficult. We don't have a roadmap in front of us. There's no case law. There's no precedent. There's nothing that I can point to. You know, besides saying, look, this is unfair in the business realm, in the real mm-hmm. estate realm, and all these, it is unfair. But, you know, you kind of have to do the best you can to overcome those hurdles, finding the right professionals to help you, putting a strategy together so you can, you know, navigate through those things and not waste so much time and money. Because it's one of those pitfalls that cripples a lot of entrepreneurs because they get tangled up in in sort of the fairness of it all. It, it, it's just, it's a difficult and emerging process, and you've got to work with what you've got.
1: So people who really want to get in, on this industry. Yes. What do you tell them? I mean, if somebody just comes to you and says, you know, please tell me, how can I get in in on this? Yeah. I mean, the first thing you've got to understand that it's always going to
0: take longer than you think it's going to. Mm -hmm. I promise you. I don't care how simple the deal, whatever you think it is, usually triple that. It's going to take longer. Um, You've got to have a clear plan for going forward. A lot of people have a passion for this industry. They're excited. You know, they may have a background in and growing and they have something that they want to share, but they don't really have a plan for getting in this industry. They didn't sit down and take the time to really put together a, a structured business plan and say, do I have the capital? What's it going to take? Do I have capital to allow for these issues, these roadblocks, these delays, which inevitably are going to come up? Right. Um, and they, if you don't take the time to put that plan and strategy in place, most people will fail. So I want to make sure that they're serious and they have the amount of Time understanding capital, they have individuals who actually know the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, all of a sudden, with you know, who have money, who have real estate, things like that, it's wonderful. You're getting serious business people who want to be involved in cannabis. But if you don't know anything about cannabis and you don't have any professionals who know anything about cannabis, it's also difficult because every aspect of this industry is different from the contracts to the leases to the language to the rights to the remedies to the things that you have to consider. It's all very different, and so. Just being, you know, skilled in real estate or business or having the capital, those things independently of themselves do
1: not mean success. Right. And and the newness of it, there's a learning curve for everybody, no matter totally. what their field of expertise.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, a huge part of, you know, I started in this industry in 2010. And I can tell you a, a large part, a lot of the provisions and structure and things that I put into my contract are based on contracts are based on learning and seeing how the industry operates, the pitfalls, Mm -hmm. the issues, what worked, what didn't. It's the only way to sort of pave that new landscape. So any professional getting started, you know, without some history, it's difficult. You want to align yourself with other people who know the industry and understand how it operates, how it works from a real-world aspect, because that makes a big difference in the professional advice that you're giving.
1: Right, right. And in in Arizona, the legislation was actually pretty comprehensive, pretty Mm -hmm. well written compared to other states. Correct. Um, Do you get a lot of people from other states approaching you for, you know, navigating Arizona then?
0: We do. We do. Um, You know, we've had quite a few other uh, other states come in and say, hey, you know, help us with what worked and what didn't. Because with any sort of new regulation or any new program, there's some things that Arizona did really well. There's some things that we could probably do better. You Mm -hmm. know, that's just the nature of any new new program. Um, And so, you know, part of – of what I think is important in educating and informing people is also for legislatures so that they have an understanding of not only the industry, but what are you regulating? What makes sense? You know, Mm -hmm. what helps from a business perspective, from a regulatory, from a compliance, you know, how do we make a program that actually benefits not only the business owners and the patients, but also the community around them. And I think understanding what's worked and hasn't worked in Arizona is, you know, is is a great way to do that. And we've had great interest from other states who are interested in, in having that conversation.
1: How how will the legalization measure of its passed actually make the process of getting into business here easier? So, you know, I'm a very big proponent
0: in that it does a couple of things. First of all, it, it separates the licenses. Right now we have a vertically integrated medical license. So mm-hmm. create some complications because you have individuals who may want to do the dispensing side but don't know the cultivation side and vice versa. The actual Proposition 205 will separate those licenses so you allow people – to focus on on their area of interest and where they have expertise. And there may be, you know, one or more, but you don't sort of pigeonhole them into having to do everything. The second thing is it will set up an entirely different organization which will take the place of the Department of Health Services, who, let me say, first of all, has done a a great job, but they were handed a very, very tall order, and, and it's been a difficult road. And you're talking about a program that not only has to be you know, controlled and regulated, but you have to understand compliance and the difficulties and the issues to make sure that, again, it's being managed in sort of an even way so that it applies to everyone. You don't have some people who are sort of getting away with, you know, maybe skirting below and then the people who are doing it right going, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. So I think having a a program and a a governing body in place that will be single-handedly running the medical and the recreational side of this is a wonderful thing. It will give us a much more structured regulated program, which in my opinion can only benefit the business owners as well as the the patients.
1: Right. I would think so anyway. And it seems as though the Department of Health Services is quite understaffed. Sure. Comes- <laughs> I, I would
0: agree. I mean, again, I think they've done a really good job, but I just I, they don't have the bandwidth. I mean, this right. is just one area that they're in charge of, and it's a massive area. There's a lot of things that have to be taken into consideration, and 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 they just don't have the staff, they don't have the bandwidth, and I don't think they were given... It's a little bit unfair, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And they've done a great job in getting up to speed. But I do think it's something just like the Liquor Board. I mean, you, you know, it makes sense to have something that is, you know, there's great potential for growth and development and success, but there's also potential for issues. So you want to have one board that's educated, that knows what they're doing, that is in charge of handing those out, making sure everyone's complying. It, it just makes more sense, again, from a regulated
1: yeah. standpoint. And, and there are a lot of people out there who are definitively opposed to to the legalization measure. Sure. And I think that from a legal perspective, you might have some good insight to share with them about why it could benefit our community to have legalization versus just sticking with this marijuana, medical marijuana. marijuana. Sure. I mean, so from my perspective, the nice thing
0: about the the Prop 205 is that it actually allocates. So we'll have a a higher tax um, percentage, which will be charged for all recreational purchases. And what we've done, instead of with the medical program, we didn't really carefully craft out where the additional money, whether it comes from fees, from tax, all those different things, we didn't carefully say where do those things go. And again, there was a lot to consider when you're doing the first program. Mm -hmm. Now that we know that, we can look at states like Colorado, like Washington, who are really benefiting from a tax perspective in taking that money and allocating it towards programs that are in dire need of funding, like our education, like our fire, like our police department, who are – are, have been devastated by a lack of funding, have had a difficult time getting voters to approve additional funds to give them the basics. You know, teachers right. need to get paid. Our kids need to yeah. not have these programs that are, you know,
1: we don't want art cut. We don't want music cut. We don't want classroom sizes that are double and what they should be. And are having underpaid teachers have to come out of pocket to sure. continue those programs in their classrooms.
0: Police departments that are not trained properly. Right. You see, it's a nationwide issue. That takes training. It takes money. It takes, you know, funding. Arizona just is lacking in a lot of those realms. So passing Prop 205 will open up an entire new avenue of funding, which I think will be incredible for these really important programs. And that benefits everyone in the community, not just those who, who may need the, you know, the product.
1: Yeah. And what do you know about the surplus that they have right now from the taxation and from the license, the, the patient licensing yeah. and that sort of thing? Because that money just seems to be in a vacuum. Sitting there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's what I mean. I think that that just wasn't
0: one of the things that they thought about. Right. You know, we take these application fees, we take these things, and then it sort of just sits there. And right. In their defense, again, they're they're working through a lot of different things with this program. It's one more thing that they're going, oh, my gosh, how are we supposed to figure this all out? So I do think it was, I don't want to say a mistake, but an oversight in the original legislation. And I think it's something that is being remedied with Prop 205 that's extremely important to the state of Arizona and everybody, whether you like marijuana, whether you don't, again, you know, Alcohol is legal. It does not mean that you have to that you have to drink, that you have to, it's another Or that you have to give resource. it to your
1: children. Sure.
0: <laughs> it doesn't take away, parenting does not go out the door because we're talking about things that for, are for adult use or for medical use. So, right. you know, I think it's important when having the conversation. Um, I'm a big fan of educating. I want to have an yeah. actual discussion with you. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of emotions when you get into this conversation. From my perspective, I think it's great from a regulatory perspective. It's great from a business perspective perspective and it's great from a funding perspective and so if you can have that conversation I think taking it out of sort of the good versus evil helps to have an honest conversation and people realize you know it's not something that is going to just devastate the state of Arizona and we're gonna turn all of our kids into drug dealers and it's just it's not the reality of it but you know,
1: right one of the fearmongering sort of goes exactly Plays well, into speaking that. of yes. fear, the good and evil <laughs> of it all sure um, the other the other side of that as well is the criminal justice system Sure because it seems like there's just so much injustice in the criminal justice system sure. especially when it comes to how uh, marijuana offenders sure. are treated and from which demographic group they come.
0: Sure. sure. I mean, the
1: difficult part of
0: it is is whether it's state, you know, local, your your law enforcement is going by the laws. I mean, they don't have the ability to say, oh, this is just marijuana or, oh, this is heroin. You know, they don't have that ability right now. So while they don't, it's all treated equally and it's unfair. And and all it does is further subjugate groups of people who already are subjugated because of poverty, because of whether it's Mm -hmm. racism, a lack of education, opportunity, you know, and, and all those issues are then compounded because marijuana tends to be the most frequent, you know, frequent thing that they're arrested for. And and it's a complete, at least in my opinion, a complete waste of resources from a state and federal perspective. It's something that is one of the number 1 drugs trafficked in and out of this country. There's no reason for it. We're allowing, you know, the criminal enterprises to benefit from right. something that that we could again keep within our state, regulate, control. We know what's put into the product. It's safer. We could benefit from the tax revenue, right. and it makes it a, you know, again, a medicine, at least on the medical side, that is that is safer for people, that is no worse, in fact, I'd argue, is better for you than alcohol, certainly better for you than opiates and pharmaceuticals oh, yeah. and some of these devastating drugs that we already have, you know, legal opportunities to get a hold of them. So, and they're killing it, hundreds of thousands of people. Absolutely, right? but you don't hear people going, well, we should certainly go out there and make Vicodin illegal. You're not going to, right. you know? It, it's the same sort of conversation. Everything has its place. It's whether it's for adult use, whether it's for limited use, it's gotta be controlled, it has to be regulated. There's always a potential for the negative in anything. You could say that about food. I mean yeah. it's killing our country. We are so overweight. And so we're gonna ban food. You have to put programs in place and educate people so that they know how to consume food and not, you know, not overdo it. To me this is not any different of a conversation. It's just we vilified it for so long that it seems yeah. a little bit scarier. And yeah. I think that's part of educating and informing people and having, you know, people like us that go, look, I don't consume. I'm certainly not opposed to it. If something, if I needed some sort of pain medicine, if I needed, that would be the first place that I would go. But thank goodness for right now, I don't need it. Right. It's not about, you know, legalizing my habits or legalizing something because I want to be able to sit on the couch and smoke bongs. That's not the point. This right. is, again, regulating a business and, and giving people access to medicine bringing tax revenue into the state of Arizona.
1: These are all positive things that come from, you know, from a plant. Right. Not as scary as they make it. (laughs) Right, right. Well, and also um, you touched on a really important point, and that is what's in it. Sure. And as long as it's illegal and people aren't accessing it, but even people who access it through the legal channels for medical use. Sure. Current state law does not mandate Testing. Testing. It sure. doesn't mandate um, any. There's no regulation on on exactly what they can and can't use to grow it. Sure. So you, you you're subject to potential pesticide, fungicide, um, Fertilizers, plus the fungus and pests that you would deal yeah. with those things. Sure. They're all damaging. So will the the legalization measure will that address some of those so issues? So will allow for testing, which
0: is okay. absolutely. It's so important because right now we don't even have a license that allows for testers. So testing facilities have to deal with being able to carry only the legal limit. You have to have either a dispensary card or a patient card, and you don't have the – it's silly, right? Yeah. I don't have the ability to go and pick up quantities of product, take it to a testing facility, and have it tested. I've got to sort of fall in these gray areas as a patient or a dispensary agent, which to me is just silly. It's yeah. the one, It should be the first thing that we're actually regulating and controlling is – How is it being grown? What's it being grown with? What are in the strains? What's the consistency? You know, having an understanding of what people are putting in their body, especially because of the medical side of it, you know, for me, I, you know, want to know what's the percentage. Am I taking something that there's so many different strains and efficacies, right? So what does it benefit? Is this treating, you know, someone who has chemo, will this treat and help me actually have an appetite? Will this help for pain management? Does it help with sleeping? Does so many different things that medical marijuana can treat? But without having testing requirements and quality control requirements in place, it's tough. So it's another thing that Prop 205, I think, really addresses well and I think it's something, too, that the industry recognized
1: even before this came and has done internally. So you will yeah. find there's some really great... There's a great lot of good self-regulation, yes. Yes. like um, the Cannabis Business Industry Association, sure. for example, which yes. I know you're a member of. Yeah. And, um, and, and a lot of testing facilities, despite the fact that sure. they're not licensed to be testing yeah. facilities, it's just are coming forward and saying, you know, they're trying to educate sure. the dispensary owners. Sure. Um, you see a number of educational... Uh, groups out there trying to educate dispensary personnel, right. yes. the bud tenders, so Absolutely. that they can educate the patients, because unfortunately they have to be the doctor, the nurse, the salesperson, all wrapped into one.
0: Sure. I mean, that's something that I always tell patients to look for when you even look at a dispensary. I mean, there mm-hmm. are some dispensaries who do a really great job of having educated, well-informed staff, have great medical directors, have general managers, have people who will sit down with you and really have that intro conversation. What is the issues? What is your diagnosis? What are you trying to treat? And we'll have a, a conversation with you so that they, you know, can, can pass on that information and education to the patient. Because the last thing you want is for someone to have a really horribly negative first experience. Right. No one's going to die. Right. But like they get actually, sick. Right. If yeah. I get sick, I'm not going back. <laughs> so then you move to opiates, which, again, there's more testing and there's your doctor's going to tell you dosing. He's going to tell you how much you should take. Right. he to tell you when you should take it that same information needs to be available when I'm taking medical marijuana. Right. So unfortunately at this point... We need to
1: educate point, the doctors too.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And so at this point, it is very internal in, in finding, you know, there are people that I will refer patients to, doctors to, because I think they do a really great job of getting the right information. I'm not mm-hmm. dealing with a 21-year-old who's got too many piercings and really... used to be really, a street dealer right, who right, just likes to exactly. get high. Exactly, <laughs> like, this is, the lifestyle is fine, but that is not what we're talking about. Right. This is a business, and I it, want to make sure that... You know that people have the right information, and so until the state catches up with it, you know it's been something that internally we've had to deal with. And I do think that smart business owners have done a good job because, again, who you know who do I want to go to? I want to go to the guys that I know can give me the right information, can tell me what's in their strains, can tell me the efficacy, and there's not guesswork. You know, yeah, and to me that's extremely
1: important. I think also for people who say, well, I don't want to vote for the law because it's federally illegal. Right. I think that. Having the states initiate the legalization has a lot of advantages. From a legal perspective, what would you tell people who give you that answer?
0: Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, you've seen even to this point that
1: when people go, well,
0: depending on the presidential race, right, whoever gets in, they're going to ban it. Look, we've come so far, and there are so many states who have really impressive regulated programs. Mm-hmm. I think we've made it impossible for anyone at the federal level. doesn't mean there can't be difficulties or they can't make things more complicated. Or that
1: lobby groups aren't
0: still going to keep They're going to keep trying. <laughs> of course they are. But by the same perspective, states' rights are something this country was founded on. If yes. you really look, we were founded on that individual right, not on a large federal government. So right. this is one of those things, you know, I tend to be a little bit more libertarian, that um, I get on my soapbox, that this is a difference that you can make. You want to vote and make sure that if you think something is important, the first place to make a difference is at your state level. That's mm-hmm. how we affect change at the federal level. Right. you have got to start with the state level. So, yes, it's illegal from a federal perspective. But, you know, the best way to combat that is having a really well-regulated, well-structured state regulatory program. And then we can say, look, look at the benefits. Because the, the federal government wants their money, too. <laughs> so right. when it comes to taxes, when it comes to these things, they're looking at us going, huh, it's working in some of these states you know it gets us a couple of steps closer to the place where, you know, hopefully one day it becomes legal from a federal perspective. Yeah, I would think Washington so. D.C. has it. Good Lord, yeah, recreational know, right? and medical—that always makes me laugh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> one <laughs> so place that has the, it. Yeah. What the yeah. what the um, policymakers in Washington are <laughs> yeah. doing to recreate?
0: <laughs> do as I say, not as I say, <laughs> or do. As
1: I say not as I do. Not as I do exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so know. you know, yeah, start on. You want to make sure you support things from a state level.
1: Yeah. And um, as far as the doctors are concerned, will this new state law, do you think, uh, impact how they're able to – does it address writing prescriptions, or is that still banned because of the AMA? So it's still difficult, right? Right. That's why it's a certification and not a prescription.
0: So I still think Mm -hmm. you're going to see more naturopaths that that write it. You have more DOs. Um, The physicians that I have seen that, you know, even (sighs) if they're in support of it, it depends on the groups they're with. It depends on their insurance, their licensing – that's the difficulty that faces a lot of medical doctors and unfortunately that's going to continue um but again the more that that we've got structure in place the more that we have a regulated program the more comfortable some of these you know different professionals are saying hey look i think this is something that will that will really benefit my patients and especially if they're sole practitioners and they don't have as many ties to some of the larger scale corporate medical groups right i think you'll see some of them take you know additional steps forward
1: because they're interested yeah I, I think that it'll, be, it'll open up so many amazing opportunities for so many people. I think so, too. Yeah. I definitely think so. And I want to switch gears a little bit sure. because you're vi- uh, not vice chair, but co-chair sure. of Women Grow, mm-hmm. yeah. here, the Phoenix chapter here. Yep,
0: we have one chapter now.
1: And I, I noticed that a lot of the industry is pretty male-dominated. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about Women Grow and why that organization is important in expanding awareness and, sure, and sure. building from the women-centric businesses on up.
0: You know, from my perspective, anytime you look at statistics, women normally make usually 80 to 85% of the medical mm-hmm. decisions for their household. Um, and that's with anything, right? And women tend to be a little bit more, they lean more towards the naturopathic, homeopathic side of things. Again, a generalization, but in general. Um, you know, and like any other business, I think the, the initial influx is always with men. Mm-hmm. There's still a, you know, still a disparage between the amount of women and male lawyers, doctors, business owners, real estate well, people. who gets financed as an, as an entrepreneur. And that's the number one thing is the financing. And I think one of the things that's interesting, though, about the cannabis industry is we don't have traditional financing opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I do think that that gives women a little bit of an edge. Now, you still deal with a lot of the biases, even with these, you know, private money opportunities. But... I think that you've got a number of women who have looked in, and stepped into this space and said, you know, I can be an entrepreneur that owns a company. There's a lot of opportunities, not even just in the licensing side, but in all the ancillary businesses, oh, yeah. all the different, you know, like in the gold rush, the guy that made the most money sold the picks and hoes, right? It wasn't right. necessarily the guy who panned for gold. Um, so I think women have really recognized that in the cannabis industry as well. And we're starting to come together. And Women Grow was a great example of of, you know, on a nationwide basis, groups of really smart, business savvy, entrepreneurial women who said, we want to come together and, and support each other. Um, we want to give, you know, have opportunities for other women. We want to make sure we're introducing women to each other in other states. And, and it's certainly not anti-men. I would say that we have right. a lot of wonderful men who support Women Grow. And a lot
1: who come to the chapter meetings. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. It's not about replacing, you know, the ma- the the man and the woman. I always say that. I want to sit at the same table. I have right. no interest in in making creating disparages again. But I want to have the opportunity to sit at the same table. And so, I think bringing so many bright women into an industry and and giving them the opportunity to meet one another just gives us more force and power between, you know, and having the ability to, to really change the cannabis industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Newsweek did that, did that article that said the cannabis may be the first billion dollar industry that actually will be run by women. So I hope that they're right. Um, I've met some really impressive, bright women. And I think women tend to be more entrepreneurs just because we don't always follow the typical traditional right. path because of different choices and decisions that we have to make. that are a little different than men. Um, and so I think there's a ton of opportunity I think the next bastion is sort of having women come together from a financing perspective and really focusing on on helping and getting, you know, money and lending opportunities out to women in the cannabis industry who have a, you know great products, not against right. men again, but right. you know, giving them again that same opportunity to vie for that dollar rather than always sort of putting them behind the men.
1: Yeah. Also something I've I've observed is there are a lot of women groups groups out there who represent moms. Right. And I think that that is a huge aspect of the cannabis uh, marketplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you've seen, and that's one of the
0: the areas that every time I, you know, sit down and hear the stories that that breaks my heart but also makes me, it gives me the confidence that I'm in the right industry. Um, There's a lot of complications. There are days where it's sort of like herding cats that I go, really? This could be easier, I swear. Um, But, you know, I listen to these stories, and and a lot of times it is the moms and, and dads as well, but you've got parents who are at, their wits in that traditional medicine is just not helping their children, whether they have seizures, whether they, you know, whatever the debilitating illness is, and they're just, they're devastated. And and typical medicine or traditional medicine has not helped them. And so they're looking for these other opportunities. And, you know, they are willing to move their families. They're willing to do anything. And I think that that has really given way to, you know, a lot of moms saying, hey, look, don't, there's no reason to judge me. The same way that I would let your, you know, a doctor give my child, some sort of, you know, really serious pharmaceutical, if it would benefit them, if it's going to help them and I'm giving them a plant, then I'm going to go. And I don't care if it's, you know, legal or illegal in a lot of places. They will give anything to give their kids the opportunity to not be in pain, to not have these horrible seizures, to not be subject to these debilitating conditions. And, And I think that's really opened the door for a lot of women in this industry who now have a passion for it because they can say, this is what it did for my family. And it's a personal story. It's not even just, you know, the business side of it. Yeah, well,
1: there are a lot of women too who have children who have conditions that nationwide you see incredible results healing those through whole plant cannabis. Right. But those conditions don't qualify in the state of Arizona. Right. So will will legalization actually address that issue, or will those well, children still fall under that same? Unfortunately,
0: because limitation. it won't deal with the medical program whatsoever. So. Mm. It's just going to be adult use. Um, That doesn't mean that we don't continue to lobby our legislatures and let them, you know, legislators, and let them know what we need. I mean, you've seen in other states that conditions have been added. They have, you know, been changed. You've seen a lot of work, I'm sure, with Dr. Sue Sisley, who has fought you know, tooth and nail for the ability just to do, you know, uh, testing for PTSD, which seems like such a no-brainer. Right. You know, but that's what it is. This is still a grassroots industry that requires banding together and making noise, you know, again, in a positive way. But, you know, getting our point across, and this is what we need, this is what our kids deserve, and it's just options. Nobody's saying everyone has to go give their kids marijuana. It's an option that if something, you know, if the pharmaceutical options are not working for my kids and they're still, you know, Horrible things that they're experiencing. That this is another option. I want. I want to have the right to, to work. You know, use for my kids.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't
0: think that's asking for too much.
1: Yeah. Well, as a respectable, very respectable uh, legal voice yes. in this industry right now, you have some pretty staunch opponents. <laughs> yes. Um, shall I name names? <laughs> it's you fine. Know, in in <laughs> Arizona, like Sheila Polk, right. Bill Montgomery, sure. they're very much opposed to legalization. Um, what would be your soundbite to them? What would, you, How would you counter that? Let's say you were on a debate stage. Sure. What would be your number one priority to let them know?
0: I mean, you know, here's the thing with cannabis. There is no response that's going to fit on a bumper sticker. It's mm-hmm. an extremely complex issue. This is not a moral issue. This is not a, you know, something where this person's right and this person's wrong and, you know... It, Anytime you get into a debate that that the other person is not interested in having some sort of educated discourse, they're just interested in sort of name calling and attacking and coming up with these really, you know, out there draconian dramatic effects that are not proven Um, to me that that's not a debate. That's just, you know, a dictator coming out and, and wanting to yell their opinions and shove them down their throats. I tend to not get involved in those things. Um, <laughs> Smart. I, I don't think it's, you know, it doesn't, it's not efficient. I mean, you yeah. know, I, I have to speak in an event tomorrow. But where, they where make a there. lot of noise. They do. They make a lot of noise. And from my perspective, you know, the people who are already on that side are the ones generally listening to all that noise. If you really have an interest in learning about cannabis and understanding the importance of the program, understanding the effects it will have on Arizona, you know, to me, then you want to have a conversation about it, and that's where I feel like my importance comes in. I will talk to anybody about it, and that's fine. If you come out of it and you still haven't changed your opinion, that's okay. We are all entitled to our opinions, but not giving people the opportunity to have their opinion even heard or to have, you know, access to information, access to education. To me, I don't ever want everyone to agree as I do. That that's not what this country is built on. That's not what the state of Arizona is. You want to have different opinions. That's what makes us better. But you also want to get to a a place where, you know, we're doing things that benefit the state of Arizona. And when you're constantly singing the same song that they've been singing since we made it illegal the first time around, which was a political move in itself, you know, to me, that's just not a helpful conversation to even engage in, because you're not interested in actually talking with the, you know, understanding why I think the way I think, you're just interested in yelling at me. And defending your position. Yeah, and that's not... At all costs. At all costs, you know, and I don't like accusations, I don't like yelling, I don't like it in the current presidential race. To me, you know, we're losing the ability to have educated discourse, and that's not good for anybody. You should be able to have different opinions, have a conversation, Maybe you agree at the end, maybe you don't, but walk away respecting each other. And so when people just want to attack and call names and, you know, I am not a drug dealer, I am not peddling drugs, I am not, that's, yeah. anyone who knows me would laugh at those things. So if that's what, all you've got, then
1: yeah. I don't really to me, Good silence luck, is sort right of the
0: best, yeah. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, lions don't turn around at the, don't, at the uh, opinion of sheep, or don't lose sleep at the opinions of sheep? I'm botching this, but same sort of thing. Yeah. You know,
1: you kind of just ignore that. Right. And I, I want to go back to Women Grow for a moment sure. because I'm wondering um, if any Women Grow chapters will be emerging in states where they're just fighting tooth and nail getting anything on the ballot for any, uh, sure. any legislation whatsoever. They
0: are definitely trying. I've gotten contacted from, and I know, you know my co-chairs have as well, um, contacted from states all around the United States. Some have programs, some don't. But just, you know, understand the importance of coming together and that grassroots effort and, and being there, again, is a source of education, information mm-hmm. um, from a, a realistic business perspective. And I think that's important to have whether you have the program in place or whether you're working to get it in place. Those are the individuals, to me, that change minds and that make a difference, not so much the, you know, extremes on either
1: side, Right. you know. Yeah, because it seems to me like in in Utah, I interviewed a mom who had Child Protective Services knocking on her door. And, you know, I think eventually they wound up adding epilepsy as an allowable condition, but she couldn't get any medication there, not even CBD for them. Right, right. It's extremely difficult. I mean, it's. I have talked to countless parents who
0: have moved their children from from states to other states. You know, because entire they, families. Entire families. Because yeah. what's the other option? To go get it from illegal means, and then you don't know what you're actually getting.
1: You know. You don't know what you're getting, and you don't. Know and if you're giving you're it go to your jail, kids, and you, and you don't, don't know, if, know
0: they could take your kids away. That's there are, right. You know, you could wind up in prison. So for a lot of people, the the health of their kids is important enough that they will move entire families to states where they feel like they've got access to the medicine that their kids need, and it's, mm-hmm. it's that important of an issue to them. So, you know, that should say something about the industry and how it's, you know, what we're actually propagating, and it is not trying to, you know, turn all of our kids into drug addicts. It's giving people access to medicine so that families do not have to make these kind of horrendous decisions. Right. Again, just to have access to medicine. It doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, it doesn't. And for the moms out there who are fighting that stigma... And being looked upon as criminals. Sure. What do you tell them? You know, nobody knows your kids like you do. Right. And, and at the
0: end of the day, I mean, I, you know, I come from an Italian family. I've got a fierce mom, and you could have told her anything. There was nothing she wouldn't do for her kids. And I think right. most moms are that way. And so this is just another thing that it's a fight. You know, uh, I, I suggest and always, you know, encourage them. Use your story to help other people understand that they're not alone. There's mm-hmm. great contingencies of communities that are coming up to support each other. Um, you know, I guarantee there's somebody around the corner who's in the same position as you are. So finding one another, it tends to be in some states a little bit of an underground, you know, uh, community. But all great things that were ever changed in history started that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, you know, that's just a fact. We are doing our best to change history, but it doesn't happen overnight. There are battles to be fought, and and you've got to do what's best for you and your family. But finding other people uh, you know, that can that share in your in your story and your pain can help give advice as to what they've done to make things a little bit better for their families. To me, that's a great place to start.
1: Yeah. And as a lawyer in this field, do you ever get approached by people who are seeking clemency of some sort for their loved ones who are in jail for marijuana offenses? So I don't handle, per se, the criminal side of it. Right.
0: Um, you know, from my perspective... I handle the business, the lending, the finance, the compliance. I want to make sure that I'm, you know, creating and, and helping my my business owners stay in business for the long haul and be successful. You know, good citizens, good stewards of their businesses. Do um, any of
1: your partners at Rose Law Group? We do, we do. That? So
0: we yes, absolutely. We've got um, a really great full-scale business law firm, um, and we do have some components of the criminal side that we help help individuals who have gotten themselves in trouble. Employment is another area that's starting to spring up, oh, and we've got yeah. some great attorneys who help with that. Drug again, testing yeah or just being fired for it do you have a card do you not have a card and again these are areas where we don't have case precedent so you know we've got some really wonderful attorneys who handle the employment and criminal side of things who will who can help uh, help individuals
1: and and do you do you feel that the uh, the ballot measure will address any of those issues will they be letting people out of jail who are currently serving so, time or
0: there's so many different components to this, you know. <laughs> um, I, you know, from a from a criminal perspective, again, there are things that we have to do to deschedule mm-hmm. um, marijuana, and that will, you know, we, we've got huge issues that I think are pushing us towards that. Um, you've got overcrowded prisons. You've got, again, the state of Arizona doesn't have funding for the basics. You've got private, private. prisons that are creating yeah. massive issues. So, unfortunately, though, it's just it's dealt with, and it's just sort of a separate. Separate yeah. issue than the, the initiative to regulate. Much. I just but thought you might hear about all baby it. steps, all baby yeah. steps. You know, again, it doesn't happen at, at one time. They're just different bites of the apple, and and for us to really get the whole apple, we've got to take it in pieces and do what we can.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, I I think that there's just so much upside to getting this law passed.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think it's smart regulation for Arizona. Again, it's something that puts a better governing body in place. It allows us to have a still a regulated program. You know, mm-hmm. for those of us who don't like it or fear that we're going to turn into Colorado or Washington, while I don't see those as bad things, it's never going to be that. We are still a, a, a state program that has a limited number of licenses, so you are not going to have dispensaries on every corner. Um, there are challenges. It is an expensive, costly process to get into, and so you can expect that, you know, a good number of the people who are involved in this industry it took the time and the money and the expense and the pain to go through the hurdles and the jumps and the obstacles and all those things. They want to be in this business, and oh, yeah. so having a, a regulated program in place that that allows us for better, um, you know, better opportunities to regulate and control the people who are in business and make sure everyone's complying. But also then taking that additional revenue and allocating it to our, you know, the dire areas of need in our, our state government, yeah. which again is education, fire, police, these programs that need funding, and this gives them access to funding. So it's it's a benefit for the community as a whole. Right.
1: And it's certainly likely not going to no. Uh, no. bring a whole new generation of no. heavy pot smokers to the forefront. No. And,
0: Again, it's regulated the yeah. same way that, you know, there will always be issues of excess, no matter what you're dealing with. And, and we do the best that we can to, you know, even our, our medical program deals with, how do we teach and educate our dispensary agents, our medical directors, our business owners to, to look for signs of abuse, to make sure that we aren't allowing patients to get more than the allowable use, all those things. So there are things in place already that will only continue with this program. Um, the idea is not to allow for, for excess and issues. It's, again, just to give people access to a product that is, in my opinion, less dangerous than alcohol.
1: Right. And how, how closely do you follow what is happening in Colorado, Washington? Oregon and Washington DC for sure time. I mean you know I try to keep an eye on on all of the programs and what's happening because we
0: are starting shouldn't say starting we've been getting a lot of calls from people in different states you know mm-hmm. who are and different professionals as well it's not always just business owners or licensed uh, individuals interested in applying for a license it's attorneys who are getting into this industry or CPAs or you know so from a consulting perspective um, there's so a lot of information and education that needs to be given in all of these states, even in states that have recreational programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, as much as I possibly can, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I really do try to closely monitor, you know, all of the programs that we have, what's going on, what are the effects, what are the negatives, because um, those are things, too, that's going to get thrown in our face when we have these debates as to <laughs> Proposition yeah, 205. Of so yeah. keep an eye on the tests and, and you know, to date, the, the, all of the surveys and studies and things have been in our favor. You know, it has not increased teen drug use. It has not caused more issues. It's actually lowered crime. It's less the amount of money that states are wasting on, again, marijuana offenses and imprisoning them. Uh, it's, it's, it's benefiting the criminal justice system. And really, in the grand scheme of things, I would think if you got most police officers to sit down and talk to you, this is not what they want to spend their time on. Yeah. There are so many more serious things that, you know, that they want to allocate their resources towards marijuana
1: is that, you know, is not on the on the high it, side of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So hopefully it's a work in progress. Yeah. So attorneys who want to get into this
0: business, what do you tell them? You know, it's tough. The first thing is is you really want to sit down and understand the program. Um you can know your area of practice very well and it doesn't mean that it actually relates to cannabis, you know. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a very Contract-heavy industry because we don't have case precedent, and I don't want my clients in front of a judge. Not only do I have a moral question as to whether they support it, um, but a lot of times they don't know the cannabis program, don't know the rules, the regulations, the law. So I'm, they're already at a disadvantage. So from, as our jurors, sure, sure. So from my perspective, everything is very contract-heavy. A lot of people getting into this industry are so excited and have such a passion, and they forget that initial due diligence phase that you would do in any other business, you know, you wouldn't go run out and buy a $3 million piece of real estate without doing anything, but you'd be surprised at how many people try to do it in cannabis. So, you know, sitting down, having an understanding of who you're working with, having partnership agreements, having the right entities put together, you know, again, a plan, a structure for proceeding, and contracts that actually address issues as they relate to cannabis. It's very different, you know, leases are different, Um, purchase agreements. There's so many different things that you have to consider. So if it's, especially from a transactions perspective, which is what Mm -hmm. I do, you know, align yourself with professionals who do it and get a better understanding. It's one of those things that, you know, there's no book. You're going to need to understand the law and the program and, you know, work with professionals who already have a good understanding of it.
1: Yeah. I've I've noticed that there are some continuing education certifications cropping up here and there. They're trying. I
0: mean, it's, you know, Again, it's one of those that nothing beats experience in this industry. Right. Nothing. And what are the criteria for entering the Cannabis Bar Association? So the national one, yeah. National Cannabis Bar Association. So they're a pretty new group. They started, I want to say, last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can contact them. They have fees that you sign up for, you know, given whatever your area of expertise is. Um, and they're doing a nice job of giving out education. They have events, materials. They're still really growing and developing because most of those attorneys are very busy, as right. you can imagine, as cannabis attorneys as well in their own uh, so, respective areas and states. So, are they, Do they have an exam? No, No, they don't. But I tell you, it will give you access to other attorneys in the cannabis industry, some who have been in it a good amount of time as well, which is always helpful. No right. matter what state you're in, a lot of the issues that you know are pervasive in cannabis, doesn't matter what state you're in. And
1: it seems as peers, they'd probably be quite happy to Definitely. Uh, have some of the workload taken off by other attorneys sure. who would probably be pretty willing to help. Because it's a huge, I mean, it's a cost
0: that I tell clients to figure into their fees. Most of the mm-hmm. time I'm dealing with lawyers who don't understand cannabis. So when I change documents or I modify things or I say this has to go in, it's not because I'm trying to be difficult. It's from a cannabis perspective. And so it takes time for me to then educate them on, on, you know, cannabis and why these things make sense and why you have to have them from a, from the regulatory and compliance perspective. Well, I'm sure it's sort of a CYI, forgive my (laughs) It is, it is, it is. So it's, you know, it it adds a complication to it, not Mm -hmm. having a lot of professionals who know the industry and understand why, you know, why we have to do things the way that we do. So it's, Certainly helpful that the more professionals and the more quality professionals, uh, you know, the better this industry will be formed. Most certainly.
1: Yeah, I would
0: think so. Sure, I would
1: think so. It's
0: still hard to find good professionals. I mean, there are certainly a lot out there, but you know, it's an industry that's building. There's a lot of consultants.
1: You it's want to make an sure you. That is growing. <laughs> growing, it's developing,
0: it's changing, and it's evolving. So, yeah. you know, again, word of mouth is still still very important, and making sure that you sit down and talk to the right people and understand, you know, who the right professionals are, who the wrong ones are, so that you at least set yourself up for, you know, in the best case possible
1: for a new industry. Right. And what what do you tell the voters who are very much on the fence?
0: You know, take some time and actually read it. I think once you read it, you'll be surprised as to you know, how much structure is in it, how much it actually regulates and controls, the fact that it is limited, the allocation of revenue, revenue, I think those things are just, you know, we do our best to point them out, but but the loudest voices are the ones that are usually singing the most incorrect tunes. So, you know, it's not a, a long initiative. I think it's written in a manner that most people can read it and understanding. Do your homework. Understand what's actually in it as opposed to what someone's telling you
1: yeah. is in it. yeah. I would even suggest that people go to like the marijuana policy project sure. website MPP absolutely org, take a look at some of the other legislation that they 've written for states where it 's actually working and absolutely working well.
0: come you know groups like women grow. We just did yes. an event where we had you know MPP came out and Mom Force came out and did a really great job educating and informing people and there are still opportunities all across the state of Arizona where you can go and you can listen to people who are engaged who are involved in the initiative who are speaking, you know, who are educated and know what they're talking about, go listen to what they have to say. Make a decision on your own. There's information out there. You've just got to find it and make a little bit of an effort. But to me, it's worth it.
1: What other uh, groups are you aware of that are good for consumers too? Sure. sign up for not just business owners, but yeah. consumers?
0: I mean, I still think Women Grow, you know, does a great job, especially, you know, Phoenix Women Grow. We do a really nice job of having a wide array of speakers come out so that we address... All aspects, not just business, and we. So do, you're opening up that that uh, opportunity to listen to those sure. people for consumers to come. Absolutely, and you don't have to have a membership. You can pay on a you know event by event basis. Um, Marijuana Policy Project does a nice job just with their online publications. Right. National Cannabis Industry Association does a nice job. So Normal. Normal does a very nice job. So again, you can get access to information and and you can find events and and you know and then you'll find professionals like us who are willing to talk to you, who are willing to introduce you to, you know, I'll say, hey, this is the right person for you, or this person can give you more information if you're interested in the medical side or the consumer side or the, you know, all these different sort of ancillary sides. I am always excited to to refer people to the ones that I know and trust, because again, it's it's a new industry, and so there's there's no template. You know, you right. want to make sure that you're meeting people who you like and who you trust, and then you'll get to the right people. Also, some
1: of the medical licensing services that Absolutely. have doctors on board
0: do like, a great um, job. Green
1: doctors, for example, with mm-hmm. Liz Valentine. Green Star, yeah, she's green amazing, Star and she loves to talk to.
0: Yeah.
1: New patients, or even just people who are curious about the law.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, and like I said, even if once you get, you know, if you're at the point where you'd like a medical card and you get your medical card, find the right dispensary. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not something that they're all alike. They are very different. Some of them have really spent a ton of time and money to have a well-structured, well-thought-out, educated staff. That's who you want to sit down with. You don't want somebody who's just handing you stuff when you walk in. You want somebody who will sit down and spend. Some time with you and understand what your needs are what you're looking for you know and, and and get you to the right product
1: yeah some of them uh they're very beautiful you walk in and yeah yes some are pretty inviting but others are a little intimidating
0: because yes. you
1: walk in and you, you're sitting in a waiting room and there's this big glass sure you to go in and sure. register yourself it seems pretty it, ominous <laughs>
0: It is. You know, everybody from security perspectives, I understand some
1: people, you know, a little bit more like a waiting room. Right. Yeah.
0: We we work with patient clients to actually make a little bit more inviting, Um, you know, and that's part of what a lot of clients play into. What are you interested in? What do you want your experience to look like? If you're an educated consumer, it may not matter. You may go to the place that, you know, you know, has what you're looking for. If you're not, then those things are important. And again, you know, Getting to know people in the industry who can who can refer you to the right places so you get the information and education you need is important. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: Wow. Well, this has been a really great conversation. Thank you. Thank and you. I want to thank you so, so much for being appreciate here today. It. And sure. I, I think a lot of people will get a lot out of what you've had to say. I appreciate it. And My I hope pleasure. it makes an impact.
0: I do, too. Yeah. I do. It's important to me to educate people, really. That's first and foremost what I think will
1: will help people sort of move in
0: the right direction. Yeah,
1: well, it seems like you're doing an amazing job at what you do. Thank you. I try. A lot of people. (laughs) So anyway, many thanks to Laura Bianchi for joining us today. And please visit us at thecannabisreporter.com to learn about this topic, learn more about Laura, and to download today's podcast. Um, I'd also like to thank my new producer, Wendy West. (laughs) Thank you so much uh, for all you do. And Thank you all for listening. I'm Snowden Bishop, the Cannabis Reporter. Over and out.